one of the greatest things, to be honest, to watch this body interact with each other and just to see the love everybody has for each other here and, and just to, to watch them connect and see that. I think it is certainly one of the greatest strengths of the body of Christ. It really is. And to be part of that and to see that love and that devotion and that, that compassion towards each other, it's, it's really exciting to see that. And, and it's fun as we go through this part of Second Corinthians evaluating the love that Paul had for the Corinthians and just what he offered them and what it looked like to them. And, and we've, we've done that over the last three weeks. We've talked about some challenging things where Paul has really challenged the Corinthians and encouraged them that, that they should never under any circumstances do anything that would limit their ability in furthering the gospel. And then we, we talked about his love for them but they're not having a lot of love back to him, not a lot response back to him. And we talked about how Paul talked, said how his heart was enlarged because it was so full of love for the Corinthians and their hearts were very narrow. They were very small and they didn't have the capacity to love back. So there was a challenge there. And then last week we talked about the difficulties of being unequally yoked. And what that looks like and how God asks us not to be in a situation where we limit our abilities to reach out to others, to share our faith. And I had a great line from somebody last Sunday leaving it. And it was the heart that I think God really had in that part of Second Corinthians was one of, gee, I'm standing around the guys at work and somebody tells a crude joke and then I laugh. And then I realize immediately that my ability to say something about God is completely diminished. I have bought into them and to their time and to what they look at and what they do. And now for me to say, and by the way, at church this Sunday, I learned, he says, is really limited. It's a great example of, I think, what Paul was trying to talk to. If, if God couldn't be part of that environment, if God wouldn't be somebody that you would turn to and introduce all the people you just said this horrible joke with, then you probably shouldn't be there. But then on the other hand, we're, we're, we're told to be in the world. We're meant to be there. We're meant to be reaching out. But we just have to be cautious how we respond to things and what we do so that we may have a witness that would be pleasing and honoring to God. And Paul finished up in the first part of chapter 7 last week as we finished that where he said therefore having these promises he's talking about all these things that we just shared beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God the bottom line believers in Corinth you must you have to remove from yourself the defilement that you're living in because it completely inhibits your ability to love. It inhibits your ability to reach out. It inhibits your ability to share the gospel of Christ, which is our job. That's why we're still here. And he's just begging and pleading for them. And he continues on with this. Paul, we've seen in this letter of Second Corinthians, has had moments of defiance towards the Corinthians because of the accusations, the false accusations that they had claimed 
upon him. He's had moments where you can almost see that if he'd have been there, he'd have been beating on the table. He, he was trying to make his point. And you get the perspective here in chapter 6 in the first part of 7 that he's pleading. That he's, he's almost as if he's on his knees begging the Corinthians to listen. Please, listen to what I'm saying here. It's so important that you get this. You can't keep going on. You can't just keep doing what you're doing. You have to get this, guys. And he says things over and over. Whenever Paul continues to repeat himself, it's because he wants to be heard and he must not be being heard. So he continues to step out. You know, not many of us like nagging, right? How many would raise their hand and say, man... I love it when I get nagged. There was a hand in the back. All right. So we we aren't all that fond of it, right? We're just not that pleased. We don't get up in the morning and just look forward to the next nag session. We may not mind getting up in the morning and getting ready to nag someone, but we don't want to be the recipient. We want to be the giver, right? It's always better to give than receive, especially with nagging. Paul's not nagging here. Paul is reinforcing his points carefully and thoroughly. And he's trying to help these guys understand. So we're going to go back and look at some reinforcement today. That's what Paul's really doing. He's sort of finishing things up and he's reinforcing and then he's getting ready to move on and continue on in Samaria. So what we're going to do today is just try to bring this area section to a close and then Danny's going to catch up, start up next week and take us on. So let's pray. Dear God, it is a blessing to learn from you. It is an absolute privilege to have your word to study and to live in an environment and a country where we can stand up and proclaim you in public, out loud, without any fear of retribution or concern. Lord, we are the most fortunate of people whom have your word that we have the opportunity to get to know you through it. Lord, as we study the words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, would you please open our hearts? Would you please change us? Lord, we need you to work in our lives every single day. There's so much more growth for me. I know that, Lord. Every time I study your word, I recognize how much more I need to grow. How many more things that I need your help with? But Lord, I am so excited because you are never tired of trying to help me. Just as Paul was never tired of trying to help the Corinthians. So Lord, would you please change me today? Make me more like Jesus. And Lord, would you speak? And would you change lives? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul starts out saying, Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. So it goes right back to to where we were looking at in chapter 6 verse 11. Paul's talking about his love for the Corinthians. And he's encouraging them. Guys, it's time to start expanding your hearts. It's time. You've hemmed yourselves in. And 
In chapter 6, verse 12, he said to the Corinthians, you are not restrained by us. Your hearts are not constrained. They're not limited. They're not narrowed by Paul and the other guys that are working with Paul, but rather their hearts are restrained because of their own affections, their own issues that they're dealing with. Their own emotions are restraining. They're, they're cramping their hearts. They're making them very narrow, very difficult to get anything into. And Paul makes sure that they understand that that's their issue. I think it's important for us to recognize that because you realize that if we can narrow our hearts because of issues in our lives, we can therefore remove the issues in our lives and broaden our hearts. Right? It's a choice we get to make. We get to decide when we wake up in the morning, when we interact with people, when we come to church, when we're with our families. We get to decide just how much effort am I going to put into having a big, wide, open heart for all of these people that I interact with? Or am I going to do my very best to create it in, make it small, narrow, unable to withhold any love whatsoever? So it's important that as he goes back to these guys, he's telling them again, it's your choice. But would you please make room for us in your hearts? By way of justification, he goes on to say, For we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, and we have taken advantage of no one. This is an interesting perspective to look at, and I think it comes back to what we talked about with being unequally yoked, and in situations that we ought not to be in that therefore inhibit our ability to share the gospel. Paul was saying to these guys, we've wronged no one. We've treated no one unjustly. We haven't injured anyone. We have not led anyone into sin. That's the concept that he's looking at here. We know in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, he talks about the incestuous relationship. And he talks about that this man should be delivered to Satan. He talks about, he hears that there are sins among you that are so horrific that not even those in the world would commit them. Right? That's what he's talking about. And he's saying you should get rid of this man. Send him out and let the devil take care of him for a while. After he whips and beats on him, he'll come back and it'll be okay. You can reconcile. There are a lot of people who would say that that's what Paul's talking about. I didn't wrong this man in doing this. I did what was best for him. But probably it really responds to just the entire reality of Paul's ministry. Paul could look the Corinthians in the proverbial eye and say to them, I have not wronged you. What a testimony. What would that look like in your life? Could you say that? Could you go to anybody that you would come in contact with tomorrow that you were in contact with before that and say to them, you should listen to me because you know what? You have absolutely nothing to hold against me. I have never wronged you. I have never pulled you into sin. I have never done any of that. That's the testimony Paul had. Now, most of us aren't going to be able to go backwards and do that. But might I encourage you, tomorrow's a great day to start it. Tomorrow's a great opportunity to move forward and say, I will live my life in such a way that next week, when Dean asks me, Could you say that to everybody that you interacted with last week? I can say yes. Paul was just like us. We talk about Christ living a blameless and sinless life, and it's it's a benchmark that we'll never achieve. But Paul was just like us. 
If Paul can do it with God's help, so can we. We can do this. We can be able to look backwards and say, no, you really ought to hear me out because I didn't wrong you. I corrupted no one. Oh, in Acts 20, verse 33, Paul says to the folks that he's talking to, I've coveted no one's gold or silver coin. Again, just the concept of a blameless and holy life that Paul is leading. He would call people to task. Don't get me wrong. Not everybody walked away from talking to Paul feeling warm and fuzzy. And just like, man, this is good. Some people walked away from Paul going, oh, man, that hurts. But he did it in such a way that it was a godly thing. It wasn't a Paul thing. And he was able to say to them, I wronged no one. I corrupted no one. I did not bring any of you into a worse state than you were in after you interacted with me. None of you were more tempted to be sinners because of what I did in your life. I didn't cause you to stumble. I did not corrupt you. That's so important. That's that's that perspective of when we're with a group of people and something really bad happens. How do we respond? Somebody's walking across a cafeteria and they trip and they spill their whole tray. Do we laugh at them or do we get up and help them clean it up? Are we afraid more of the three or four guys around us that are laughing their heads off at this horror, this thing that just happened? And we would rather be more fearful of them and would jive in and start to laugh with them? Or are we willing to stand up for what is right? Are we willing to go help? What does it look like? Paul? Paul would have got up and helped. He wouldn't have laughed. He'd have served. It's just a small example. I'll bet you that you guys are thinking right now of a whole bunch more. Keep thinking of those, evaluating in your life. Where are those spots? What do they look like? I've taken advantage of no one. He's taken no one's property by cunning. He hasn't tricked anybody. He hasn't deceived anybody in order to bring himself higher. He, he hasn't made his life more comfortable by taking from these people. He could have. He probably could have even rightfully done so. He could have probably demanded better care. He probably could have demanded that these guys provide more for him for all that he was doing for them. But he didn't do it. And the reason he didn't do it? Because he wanted to be able to make sure they knew that he had not taken deceptively from them. So he had set himself up to do the best thing he could. He wanted to be able to stand on a platform that was solidly built on the foundation of Christ and speak to these people because he knew that there were tough things that he had to say to them. It wasn't always going to be easy. I mean, having Paul around was not always a pleasant thing because he would look deep into your soul and point out your issues. Right? We've seen that over and over again as he talked to people. He would look right smack dab in the middle of your soul and say, you have an issue. We need to deal with it. Because you are representing God in your issues. Right? We have to be cautious with that. We don't want to get ourselves stuck in a situation where nobody listens to us because they've seen us. 
They've watched us. They look at you and say, what are you telling me about God for? Look at how you live your life. Look at what you do. It's not about, I'm not going to listen to you. You have, you have no grounds to talk to me about what I'm doing is wrong. You're there with me half the time. We must be careful. Paul goes on to talk in verse 3. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul had no hesitation in standing up to people and sharing with them where their issues were. Yet he didn't condemn them in doing it. It wasn't about condemnation. It wasn't about, you're lowly. You belong in the pit. You're nothing. And rather it was an uplifting, come on, got some issues here. Let's work on these. We can do this. You, me, and God, we can do this. There's no condemnation here. He's not condemning them for the things that they've done. Did he have a right to condemn these guys? No. Could he have? Yeah. I mean, look at all the things they did. They accused him of being a false teacher. They accused him of lying. They accused him of all these things that he hadn't done. But rather than responding like I would respond to that when I'm wrong, he responded with, you have to understand that what you're doing is wrong. Not about me. Not about me that makes it wrong. But you're sinning against God when you do that. When you sin against God, that's wrong. He had a way of showing people that their problems, that that the reason he tried to share with them their issues wasn't for him. It wasn't to lift him up. It wasn't to make him feel better. It wasn't to make him look smarter, wiser, more, more marvelous in his abilities. But rather it was to always point them to God. And he would just use himself as an example. So what about us? What are we doing? Where are there parts in our lives where we're attacking people because they've attacked us, but it's for our own gain? Paul said, I don't condemn you. I don't speak to condemn you because that's not my job. I've said before that you are in our hearts. He's reiterating chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He's already told us in 11 and 12, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak to you as, as children, open wide to us also. He's already told them that before. He, he's attached to these guys. When he talks to them about that, that, that you are in our hearts, it's speaking of an attachment. Something that's in your heart isn't something you let go of easily. You cling to that. You hold on. When somebody takes off something that's in your heart, it rips out a part of you. A part of you goes with that. There's no way to have the relationship Paul had with the Corinthians, the love that Paul had for the Corinthians, without understanding that if it's destroyed, it takes away a bit of Paul. You can't take the Corinthians without taking a bit of Paul. To live and die together probably is, again, speaking of this, this tender attachment he had with these. There are those who would have said that it's possible that Paul would have gladly or willingly, at least, given up all the rest of his ministry to be devoted to the Corinthians. That he would have said, it is more important that I spend time with you Corinthians than it is to go out through the rest of my missionary journeys that I would be willing to do that. Now, we know Paul's heart. We know Paul's heart of desiring to reach 
everybody and to do whatever for him to say this to them, I think, really speaks strongly of his desire to really reach these Corinthians, to really help them. There was a special attachment to the Corinthians and Paul. In Philippians 1.7, we see that Paul talks about the Philippians this with his love as well. And I think it was just the heart of this man. I just wished it could be my heart all the time. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Paul had a never-ending ability to love people. A never-ending ability to love people. He had the biggest heart for people that both needed Jesus and had Jesus. And would we continue to work towards that? I told you guys a couple weeks ago that one of the things that I am the most proud of in our body is your love for one another. And it is. It is astounding to see the compassion of people working in this body and doing things. It is just heart-rendering for me. And I can just imagine as Paul talks in verse 4, being able to say that about you guys. And I have. I've told you that. I, told, I mean, I have. In, in the last three weeks, I've had the opportunity to boast about you. To boast about this body that I get to be part of. Because it's just so special. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that boasting is making the difference in at least one person's life. Because I got the phone call about it last night. My boasting, like Paul boasted about these guys in verse 4 where he says, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. For I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. That boasting is changing somebody's life today. That's cool. If that doesn't give you guys shivers, check your pulse. It is so neat. There is a person that nobody here has ever met, but because of my telling them about this body, they are changing. That's what Paul was doing here in verse 4. That's what Paul was talking about. Great is my confidence, my boldness. I can speak boldly. I can proclaim large and huge. There's nothing too big. And a lot of it comes from you, Corinthians. Because of my, my confidence in you, I can do these things. Great is my boasting on your behalf. It, it translates really it kind of in, in some of the older texts as my glorying in you. Great is my glory in you, Corinthians. That must really be an encouragement for this group of people that have just felt this firm hand of Paul once or twice. Right, just once or twice, there's been the firm hand come down on the Corinthians. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, which we'll get to this for a while, is talking about Titus and just things and how encouraging it is and how important their ministry is and how he's boasting to the Macedonians where he is at this point where about the Corinthians and all that they're doing and how they've given so much back to the to the church in Jerusalem and how they have sacrificed themselves in doing that. Great is my confidence. Great is my boasting. I am filled with comfort. 
I'm filled with encouragement. There's no more room. It's I'm plumb up to the top. And because of that, he overflows. Because of that, I'm overflowing with joy. This word, this overflowing, is only used twice in all of the New Testament in the Greek. Here, and in Romans 5, verse 20, in essence, it talks about to abound exceedingly. Right? More than abundant. It's so much that Paul actually coined a new term in order to express it. He combined things. He combined being full with being fuller. Too much. He can't even contain himself. He's so excited about this. He's overflowing with joy because of the Corinthian. In spite of the afflictions, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the beatings, in spite of the imprisonment, in spite of everything, he is so excited about the Corinthian that his joy overflows. And he made up a new word. So when all of you make fun of me for making up new words, especially Steve, where's Steve? I think he's upstairs teaching, but he was harassing me a few weeks ago when I came up with a new word. I can't even remember what it was now, but he teased me immensely, but I'm going to talk to him about Paul after the service. In love. I'll do it in love. What a great opportunity to be overflowing. And Paul loved the Corinthians. Paul loved the Corinthians so much he had no hesitation to hit them between the eyes when they needed to be hit between the eyes. He loved the Corinthians so much that he feared nothing before them. He was willing to lay it all out on the carpet with them. We need to do the same. There are people that we are around all the time that really honestly need a good, firm, swift kick in the butt. Out of love. They do. We do. We all need that. May it be in your life that there are people who love you enough to kick you. Like Paul did to the Corinthians. But he never stopped there. He never finished there. He always, always showed them his love and compassion for them. And he brought that up and he talked about it and understood what that meant. He goes on in verse 5. It's verse 4. He finishes talking about even in all of their affliction, he has this overwhelming joy, this unmeasurable joy that he can't even describe without coming up with a new word for them. And in verse 5 he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But rather we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. You probably have missed it, but we kind of took a hiatus in Corinthians. See, Paul took a hiatus. He finished just before this passage in 2 Corinthians verse 13. He was talking to them about his time in Macedonia and what he was doing. And he had to take a bit of a detour because there were some issues. So from chapter 2.13 until chapter 7.5, he's really been in a little hiatus. It was a, I'm talking a little bit about Macedonia here, but you know what? There are some issues. Let's deal with them right now. They're on my heart. Bang, 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 gets through them. Well, now we're, we're coming back. 
So we've taken a bit of a break. He's bringing us right back into where he was there at the at the end of chapter two. And he talks about these things for even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side. We don't even have a clue what that looks like. I suspect there's nobody in this room who really understands what Paul and the people that were with Paul were going through at this. I think we have issues that we deal with. I think that there are, are challenges in our lives and there, are, there is no doubt that, that many of us are struggling in one area or another, that, that there are difficulties financially, there are, there are difficulties with work, there are difficulties with, with families and, and other things. And, and, and that's not limiting those important structures and those important issues in our lives. I think to say, though, the biggest difference is that Paul had all of those. Where will the next meal come from? Do I have clothes? Do I have a place to stay? How nice is my next prison cell going to be? Will they have cable TV and a ping pong table? But rather, Paul was in danger of losing his life at almost every step. Paul was beaten to near death multiple times. He, in that, was still able to share how much the Corinthians meant to him and how important his relationship with them was and how important his job to continue to reach out to them was in that. So to say that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happening on the outside that's crashing in, no matter the fears that are on the inside, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It may not be okay and fine on your timeline. There may be some struggles with regards to exactly when the fine happens. But just look at it from Paul's perspective. Paul was being beaten. Paul was in prison multiple times. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul had all these things happen to him. And what can he say to these guys? My, I'm so confident in you. Right? Here I am, I'm nearly dying for you. You call me a liar. You say that I'm not a real apostle of the Lord. You, you say all these things about me, but it's okay. Because I am so confident in you. I boast about you because I know that when everything is said and done, we're going to be able to praise what you have accomplished. He was stressed. There were issues going on. It wasn't bad enough that there were problems going on on the outside, these quarrels, disputes, persecution, but his fears, a lot of them for the church at Corinth. His heart was sold out to these guys. And his concern was that they would never be taken down the wrong path. He loved them so much. And so in the midst of the beatings and everything else, his thing was to think about them. Put his focus on them. Pray for them. Yearn for them. As we, as we go on, we get the reason why it's okay. Why it's going to be fine. My favorite two words in the Bible. But God. All this stuff is happening. There's a flurry. There's all these bad things occurring. There's all these fears that Paul has for the Corinthians. There's the beatings. There's everything else that goes with it. But in verse 6, Paul takes us right back to our foundation. But God. 
But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. What a sweet, sweet aroma those two words have for me. No matter what, no matter what the struggles that I face, no matter what the temptations that I face, no matter what the challenges are in my life, God is always there and ready for me. He is always there. He's always ready to pull me up out of the swill that I have been making and living in. He's always ready to comfort me. He's always ready to encourage me. He's always there. I never have to worry that God's on lunch break. I never have to worry that he's sleepy and he needs a nap. No matter what time of day or night, when, when I have things pressing in from the outside or fears on the inside, he's there. He's ready for me. He's waiting for me. His arms are open wide for me. God stands like this all the time. Never like this. You never have to pry his arms open to give him a hug. He's always there. And only he can comfort. Paul talks about here, God comforts the depressed, the low-lying, the humiliated, those who have been brought low by circumstances. And he was comforted because Titus came. This was a big concern for Paul. Titus was overdue. Paul really cherished Titus. Paul had had given so much of himself to Titus. And he was so worried about Titus. This is such a different world. We live in such a different world. I mean, you can grab a phone and call. Hey, it's okay, Paul. Plane was delayed. I'm going to be there, not a problem. Get on the internet, Skype, you know, whatever you want to do. There's the, you can text message. There's a lot of ways to let people know what's going on. In that day and age, there wasn't. You could send a letter, but who knew if it'd ever get there? Paul was very concerned. So he was so comforted that Titus was there. But not just that. He says, I'm comforted by the coming of Titus. God has comforted us with that. But not only by his coming, but also because he was comforted in you. This was such an encouraging thing for Paul because, you see, he realized God was really at work in the Corinthians. He was bringing justification to this confidence that we talked about earlier. It was there because Titus came and brought a report. Remember, Titus had brought a letter to the Corinthians that was very stern from Paul. It was quite possible in this setting that the Corinthians would walk away. They would have nothing more to do with Paul. But rather than that, Titus brought back this most wonderful news of the Corinthians. He reported to us your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me. I rejoiced even more. How can he do that? He had to make up a new word for as much as he was rejoicing a few minutes ago. How can he rejoice more? How can you rejoice more than overflowing rejoicing? What a testament to his love for these people and his complete trust and reliance in God. God will make it work. God will make it right. God comforted Paul by bringing Titus and the news of the Corinthians. Isn't it astounding how when you're at that spot where 
you're just not sure how you're going to take the next step. You're not sure how you're going to face the next day. When you just don't know how it's going to all work, to know God's got a plan. Paul was there. Paul was worried sick about Titus. God brought Titus. But God didn't just bring Titus. God brought Titus with great news. So the guy that's overflowing with joy is rejoicing even more than he was before. That's what's so rich about God and his comforting. The Corinthians longed to see Paul again. They were mourning. They were sorrowful over the way that they had treated him. And they had a zeal to see and protect Paul. What an amazing blessing God was to Paul in his moment of need. Everybody here today has some need. Everyone here has something. It may seem trivial to you. It could be so big that you don't even know what you're going to do tomorrow. There may be needs among us that are so significant that there is fear about whether lights will come on when you turn the switch on tomorrow. God has a perfect plan for all of us. It doesn't mean the lights will come on tomorrow. But it does mean it's there. And my prayer for all of you is to realize that when you need comfort, go to the source. Go to the rock. The foundation. That's where it's all at. We are here to be used by God to encourage and lift up each other. And that's really fun when he allows us to do that. But we have to be connected with him in order to achieve that and to see it. When you need comfort, go to the source. And then let us come alongside and help too. It's really a cool opportunity. So what's it look like? It's all great and dandy. We see how Paul made it through and everything worked great there. What are we going to do? What does it look like for us? Well, I guess after going through these last four Sundays, for me, kind of a bottom line, I guess, if you will, of of where I'm at in looking at this is, I really need to be cautious how I live. Really evaluate that. What does it look like? When I'm wronged by someone at work, how will I respond to that? Will I have the grace that Paul had? Will I love these people? so much that they'll try to work out how in the world I care about them even when they've wronged me I had a great opportunity to do that the, the, the coolest part of opening God's word is I learn so much the, the hardest part about opening God's word is I get to experience all these things personally and so all the issues that I'm going to talk about are things that I currently have to deal with I have issues going on I need to be able to have a good, strong footing in front of people when I am going to have the opportunity to share the gospel. I need to be on good, solid footing in order to accomplish that. If I am not living a life that is deserving of the Savior, then that's going to be harder for people to look at me and want to listen to me. I need to be like Paul... He had such a heart for the Corinthians, you wonder if he wouldn't have just stayed. If he couldn't have just felt like he could have had so much more impact there. 
So you need to be so involved with God in prayer, in His Word, and studying, and looking, and understanding, and with encouragement with people around you, that you know you are where He wants you to be. And recognize that only God can provide comfort. And it's only through Him that we even have a hope of this overflowing joy that Paul had. We can't manufacture that. We can manufacture a facade that might look like that. But we can't really have it. We can't have an overflowing joy without God. At best, we'll be part full of joy. Never gushing, overflowing, unstoppable joy without Him. Paul loved the Corinthians enough to correct them when necessary, provide encouragement when needed, and always, always, always lived before them in such a way so he could say to them, I've not wronged you. I haven't corrupted you. I didn't steal from you. Therefore, I have all the foundation in the world to tell you about these issues in your life that you need to work on. Might we be about that? When we go out to our Jerusalem this afternoon and our Samaria and the ends of the earth, might we be about living our lives in such a way that we would have the footing and foundation to build into the lives of those around us so they might know the unsurpassed favor of salvation and eternity in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your comfort. I thank you for the stillness of our hearts and the ability to seek you out. It is such a blessing to know that you are my God and Father and that you sent your Son Jesus to die for me on the cross. And Lord, we are going to see some examples of your salvation here now. And I'm so excited to see it. Lord, it's one of these things you almost want to just cut the message by a third. Just so you can see the testimonies of the baptism sooner. Lord, open our hearts to really hear how you have made a difference in these lives today. And God, if there are those out there that don't know you, would you work in their lives and bring them to salvation today as well? Well, we give everything to you. It was yours to begin with. It was silly for us to ever think we owned any of it. And we cherish you. And we love you. I love this body, Lord, and I am so grateful that I get to boast about them. I'm even more excited, Lord, just to see how that's making a difference in one young person's life. And they don't even know this body. Thank you for you and for all you do for us. And it's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen.